Hello and welcome to this 12th episode of Frontier Investigates, brought to you by Frontier Current Affairs, the frontier of a new generation. In today's episode, we'll be chatting with Syra Khan, a second year law and politics student and treasurer of UNICEF UCD, as well as Molly McHugh, a second year business and law student and president of UNICEF UCD, to discuss the extent of the Syrian refugee crisis 10 years on, and why Syra and Molly got involved with UNICEF, the history of the crisis, and what you, the listener, can do to get involved. I'm John Begin. And this is Frontier Investigates. Molly, Syra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you. First off, Molly, can you tell us a little bit generally about what UNICEF does? Yeah, so I guess um, UNICEF is, I guess, the driving force um, that helps build a world where the rights of every child are realised. Um, so it's quite like the UN, but with the emphasis on children. Um, so they believe, I guess, in nurturing and caring for children, um, which are obviously the cornerstones of, they believe to be the cornerstones of human progress. And I suppose it was created with the purpose of looking after children. I guess oftentimes in humanitarian crisis, uh, we might forget about children. So that's UNICEF's um, real, their, their role, I suppose. And why did you guys get involved with um, UNICEF? I'll go to Molly first and then Sarah, you can answer afterwards. Yeah, so I guess I really want, I, I actually did work experience in transition year with UNICEF and I just found it to be a really engaging program. And then from there, when I saw that UCG were starting their first club, um, I wanted to get involved because I'd seen, I'd followed their Instagram accounts and I'd seen the work they'd done on the ground. I thought it was quite exciting. Um, and yeah, so I just thought it'd be a positive thing to do within UCD. Um, yeah, so I guess following on from what Molly said, I've always been interested, I guess, in fundraising and charity work. We do a lot of work back where my dad's from in Pakistan in terms of with children and education. So I had actually followed a few of the UNICEF clubs in other European cities like Groningen and also in America beforehand. And I just really liked what they were doing. It was a great way to get students involved because I found that a lot of people, when it comes to fundraising, they may want to do it, but it's not easily as accessible. So by having a UNICEF club, it kind of gave students that opportunity to have that chance to get involved with fundraising so I guess it kind of just brought two things together for me it's UCD bringing it on campus and there's an opportunity for us to spread that message get them more aware of what UNICEF is doing and also fundraise to help people who really need it. Is this something that you guys came up with sort of reached out to UNICEF and say hey UCD wants to have a club or was it that UNICEF were looking for people to set up clubs in various Irish universities? I think there was a real appetite for the club to be set up in within UCD um, and then UNICEF did come and um, so they are setting up clubs across Ireland and um, it's a new initiative of theirs. There are clubs as um, Sarah said like across the world um, but there isn't any, there weren't any up until now in Ireland so yeah there was definitely, they definitely kind of encouraged it and then we all hopped on board so yeah. We'll sort of go back to the role of what uh, college branches can do in terms of um, sort of helping the Syrian refugee crisis. But I want to talk about the uh, the crisis in uh, general. Uh, Syra, what can you tell us about the history of the Syrian refugee crisis? Well, obviously, it's reaching its 10 year anniversary this year. So it's been quite long coming. It has been quite damaging in terms of the effects. But I guess to put it briefly, to not get a bit too complicated. So back in 2011, there was what you'd call the Arab Spring. It was all about successful uprisings and it was all I guess in terms of what the aim was, it toppled Tunisia and Egypt's president and it gave hope to Syrian pro-democracy activists in terms of what they wanted to do in terms of their president, um, Bashir al-Assad. 
So when it came to the Syrian crisis, I guess if you want to call it the civil war, which is essentially what it is, there was a lot of protests throughout those 10 years, a lot, a lot of damage to children primarily in terms of education and disease. And even some people are saying, and I think it has something to do with a global warming is even said to have played a role in the uprising because of drought and plague that had occurred within the country about three to four years previous to when the civil war actually started. It caused a lot of migration and a lot of unrest. And obviously with any sort of civil war, there is a lot of international powers to play. So the US has armed anti-Assad rebel groups and led international co coalitions in terms of ISIL, but in terms of Syria in general, there is a lot of international playing fields, if you want to call it, in the country, in terms of America and Russia and Turkey. But primarily what UNICEF is doing and what we're focusing on in terms of our campaigns is focusing on children in terms of the effects and impacts that it has had. Because obviously there's a lot of migration, there's a lot of refugee camps, there's a lot of children that education for long periods of time, even for getting education, basic fundamental access to food, clean water, there's a lot of disease. And I think that's what UNICEF is really focusing on to impact those people in a positive light and help them sort of survive through this really troubling time. What sort of countries did the refugees go to? Because I remember sort of around that time, um, a lot of countries such as Turkey were blocking refugees coming into their country and they were having to cross the Mediterranean and stuff. I suppose, what, what sort of can you tell me about that, Sarah, in terms of what country what countries took these refugees in? Well, essentially, it was to Jordan and Lebanon because they were the most easily accessed, I guess, if you were to say any. And they're quite bordering and neighbouring Syria, so they would be the ones that were most easily. And as you've also mentioned, Turkey was also an option to them. But now Turkey have closed the borders. Ideally, it would be Jordan and Lebanon and also Turkey. However, there hasn't been much data in, and actually verified data in terms of where people are fleeing to. However, when you're in a civil war such as this and it's spanning 10 years, I think people are really just desperate to live and actually be able to save themselves. But Jordan and Lebanon would be the main ones. Molly, can you remind us about the severity of the humanitarian disaster? Yeah, sure. So I guess according to estimates by the United Nations, more than 400,000 people have been killed since the start of the war, so 10 years ago. Um, and then I guess the UN reports, um, I think of January 2019, that more than 5.6 million people have fled the country and over 6 million have been internally displaced. And I actually only since we kind of started really researching Syria did I realise like that's such a big number. Like it's literally double the size of the population of Ireland had literally fled the country and six million others internally displaced. So it's really severe. And I guess from our focus as UNICEF, um, we guess we would like to focus on the children. So nearly 2.45 million children in Syria and an additional 750,000 children in neighbouring. It's just it's, you can't, I don't think you can even put it into words how badly um, the civil war has affected all lives throughout um, Syria. So yeah, it is really scary when you think about how, what an impact, you know, dictators, people have on the lives of, I guess, little humans that are just beginning their lives. What, uh, I'll go to Syrah for this. And what is the role that UNICEF has played in the last 10 years in helping refugees? Well, Obviously, as Molly previously mentioned, UNICEF does have a focus on children. And as I mentioned, we tend to forget in terms of when it comes to civil wars like this, that there's a lot of disease. There's very little access to 
clean water in a way, there's a lot of malnutrition. So UNICEF has put a fore focus on immunization of children. So nearly 900,000 children receive routine immunization or vaccinations against measles. And they've also reached out to children in terms of psychosocial support, obviously when such devastation is happening, it has a really strong and negative impact on children of such young ages. And over 400,000 children reached out with psychosocial support. More than 55 million people were reached to provide them with informal education and safety healthy measures in terms of COVID-19 pandemic, because we're suffering with COVID-19 pandemic, I guess, in what you would call a Western country or a developed country where we do have access to a healthcare system. We do have access, easy access to information. Whereas during the civil war, people don't really have access. So UNICEF has provided 55 million people with that information. They've screened 2.6 million women and children for acute malnutrition. There's also improved water supply to an estimated 3.2 million people. And they've also tried to introduce formal education services to 2.2 million people and They've even provided further education in terms of hazard risk education with explosives to 1.3 million people. So I guess they're trying to do what they can. However, you know, when there's a civil war currently ongoing and fingers crossed, hopefully it finishes soon, but there doesn't really seem to be an end in sight at this point. So UNICEF is doing all they can to try and improve the lives of these children in many aspects of their lives, not just humanitarian aid, but also education and psychosocial support. Obviously, there were many who weren't able to escape Syria and, you know, couldn't seek refuge in um, neighbouring countries. What was the and one sort of um, particular situation that comes to mind was Aleppo, where it was essentially under siege with a number of innocent women and children uh, stuck within the city that was under siege. I, I suppose, what can you tell me, Syrah, about the, uh, what, the role that UNICEF has played within Syria itself? Well, within Syria itself, obviously, like I just mentioned, that they have a lot of services in place to help these children. And it is children focused. However, I'm not entirely sure about Aleppo exactly or in terms of in Syria, but they do have a lot of services providing immunization, providing vaccinations, providing clean water supply to ensure that it is not healthcare that negatively influences these people's lives and that they're actually able to have access to food, have access to clean water and are screened for malnutrition. Obviously, we're 10 years on from when the civil war started in 2011, and we've seen, you know, from uh, a number of refugees crossing the Mediterranean to Europe uh, and sort of a significant humanitarian disaster. And I suppose in the last couple of years, that's sort of died down in the sense, certainly in uh, media coverage anyway. Um, What can you tell us about the current situation that's um, in uh, in relation to the uh, in relation to the crisis, uh, Molly? Current situation in Syria at the moment, obviously there's a lot of hyperinflation and that's having a devastating impact on families who are literally not able to feed their children and they're having to resort to sending them to work instead of schools and girls and boys are facing the risk of earlier forced marriage just to be able to support their families. And I think the education system, meanwhile, it's overstretched, underfunded and fragmented. Like by early 2021, one in three schools inside Syria can no longer be used because they're either destroyed, damaged or being used for military purposes. Nearly 2.5 million children in Syria are out of school. And while those children who are able to attend classes are often learning in overcrowded classrooms in buildings with insufficient water and sanitation facilities, electricity, heating or ventilation. So obviously the situation is very dire at the moment with a focus on children we sometimes here take education for granted, like we're all university students and we can kind of sit here in the comfort of the fact that we do have access to an education. And yes, we can argue that some cases our education system, third level is a bit inaccessible at the moment um, with fees, but 
look at these children here from ages of three onwards, they're having to go to work instead of going to school. And when they do get the opportunity to school, there's a chance that either they can't go anymore because it's destroyed or it's in a really, really poor condition and they may not actually be learning anything. Looking for over the next, uh, into the future, I suppose, within the next 10 years, let's say, um, obviously, Syra mentioned earlier that um, the civil war is hopefully coming toward an end now. Um, what What is the role that UNICEF is going to play in the next couple of years in order to sort of put structure back on society within Syria, uh, Molly? So I guess UNICEF um, like would like to see that all children are, you know, rehabilitated and that... Um, you know, access to water, education, they're obviously their main goals, um, that every child has an equal opportunity to, I guess, you know, reach their potential. Um, so, yeah. Um, I guess following on from what Molly said, when it comes to a country that has seen such turmoil and such damage for 10 years, like 10 years is a very, very long time with constant bombing, constant damage and destruction to both a child in their early development and both a child who may be a teenager now, because 10 years, say, for example, if it started when they were three, they're 13 years old now. They've had no formal education, probably not even informal because education was a really priority then you can assume so I guess in terms of UNICEF in the future what they want to maybe achieve in the next 10 years I guess as you were saying is that they want to be able to rehabilitate these children into I guess a formal society Syria is no longer what it was 10 years ago the country is absolutely damaged it's absolutely destroyed and it's going to take a while for that infrastructure to redevelop so I guess in terms of education that will take time to come however 10 years hopefully is a good amount of time for children to get replaced back into school for them to be given some sort of education so that the jobs that they will have to do are not just those ones of manual labor but one where they can actually put their passions into what they're getting to do Obviously, refugee camps aren't ideal in terms of long-term housing solutions, so hopefully that gets sorted. However, that isn't really the work of UNICEF. UNICEF tends to focus on children because children, like Molly previously mentioned, are the ones that tend to get, or um, I guess, not remembered or just kind of thrown over the radar in a way when it comes to these civil wars. So hopefully UNICEF aims to give them the best start in their life. And if they are of the older age, maybe continue to give them a better start to this newer life after the Syrian civil war. However, we don't really know when that's going to end, hopefully soon though. Yeah, like, oh sorry. Like when you think about, like obviously during the pandemic, there's so much, I guess, talk about how we students are going to like be affected by a whole year's life disruption when we, you know, been living at home like it's nothing in comparison to a whole 10 years like these children are you know have like you can't even imagine like everything they've seen been through it's it's really it's harrowing to think think of um so I guess even when you see like um Syrian children in Ireland I mean it's such a culture shock it's so different they they've never experienced I guess a, such a like a um su such a sh culture shock um you yeah you know, that's actually a very interesting point. And I sort of like, we have like a good understanding of what the situation is now in Syria and what UNICEF and the role that UNICEF plays in, in, and its importance. I suppose what I want to focus on now is what UNICEF um, UCD hopes to do and hopes to achieve. Uh, I suppose, I think it's Syra that I've got down here. What, what, what does UCD hope to achieve in the next, um, over the course of its uh, existence? <laughs> well, I guess, in terms of our existence. UNICEF UCD literally just started a month ago. 
um, a month, uh, say about a month and a half ago now, we had our AGM to sort out our committee, but we have a very dedicated committee to UNICEF UCD. We all show up on Sundays at 9am ready for our meetings. And I think obviously Zoom events aren't ideal, but the aim essentially of UNICEF UCD is to spread the message of what UNICEF is doing through their campaigns to raise awareness for these global crises that people may not be aware about. And, you know, I think during the pandemic, we've realized that people have come together more in terms of their activism and we want more active activism, not really, I guess, what you'd call armchair activism. Um, everyone loves a good Instagram post, but really, we really want students out there campaigning and fundraising for these really important crises to help these people who really can't help themselves at the end of the day. So that's really exciting. And hopefully we get to be on not online next semester and hopefully in person so we can meet people in person and hopefully fundraise. We, um, Syria is our main focus this semester um, in terms of fundraising. We, we have a few good ideas. So I guess make sure you follow us on Instagram so you can kind of keep up to date with it because we have a good few events coming up in terms of fundraising and we'd really like students to get involved. This is sort of more of an impromptu question here, but I suppose We've, met, we've seen the extent that the Syrian refugee crisis has had on Europe in terms of like countries accepting them in or even some countries stopping them from coming in. And Ireland is one you know, country that has had a lot of you know, contentious uh, coverage on it, especially in relation to direct provision and how we treat refugees when they um, arrive in Ireland. I suppose, in your own opinion, what, what do you think that Ireland can do better in order to help refugees? Um, either one of you can answer that. Well, I suppose, I mean, definitely a light needs to be, you know, shun on the direct provision system. It's clearly not perfect, um, you know, um, but I, I guess that's a really a whole other conversation in a sense. Um, you know, introducing young children into the system. I mean, obviously there's questions, is that the right way you should do stuff? Um, so I guess, yeah, I'd probably say, you know, look to the direct provision chain, maybe look there for change. Um, I suppose I know, um, I had a few if in when I was in secondary school. There's a few um, Syrian uh, girls who came to our school, and yeah, but like you know, Syria up until the war, I mean, it really was like a, quite an advanced country. Like you know, people are really well educated. I mean, I think a lot of Irish people maybe forget that, Um, you know, they should be welcomed. You know, just like as anyone should be. You know, there's no reason why they shouldn't be welcomed. Um, so I think Irish people really need to, you know, obviously there's a go on a governmental level, like there's so much that they can do to change. But I think Irish people should be more welcoming. Um, you know, they we've gone all over the world um, through the famine, you know, the depression years, so many like times other countries have like held a hand out for us. And I think it's really time that Irish people do um, lend a hand out for, you know, Syrian people and their families and really welcome them to our country. I suppose this sort of links down perfectly about how students can get involved and how can they help. Um, I suppose if, you know, you're in UCD, obviously we have a listenership, um, not just limited to UCD. If you're a student or a young professional, how um, would you recommend them to get involved with UNICEF? Well, I guess in terms of UNICEF is actually opening multiple branches within Ireland. So as of right now, it's only UCD and Trinity that are established. But hopefully the aim is that each university in Ireland will get a UNICEF club. I'm pretty sure UL and UCC are about to have their AGM soon in terms of committees. So I'd recommend people make sure you check Instagram. That's where you tend to find all the UNICEF clubs. Like even just type in UNICEF club and then your university name. Because like, okay, I guess we've mentioned UCD enough at this point, but all other universities are having a UNICEF club in the future. So I guess just keep an eye out on there. And I, in some ways, 
I would say UNICEF or even any sort of charity society through college is the best way to get involved. It's a lot more accessible for students because I guess working in charity or working volunteering is a bit daunting in a way because you have a lot of people in the past recent years with the idea of whitewashing and with the idea of just oh like charity not going to rectal sources but I feel like once you have a charitable society on campus that really helps to get people involved and it's a great opportunity to. Obviously we're stuck in a COVID-19 pandemic which obviously limits the amount of activities that you as a society can have in person. Um, I suppose, what kind of um, events are you planning to run over the next couple of uh, weeks in order to sort of get students involved with uh, UCD UNICEF? Yeah, well, I guess for us, our main starting point was to educate the student body. Obviously, there's not a whole lot we can do. And, you know, it's really easy to continue in an education educational capacity. So we've had a panel discussion uh, and we're continuing to have them. So we've a, a few um, panel discussions lined up with um, speakers from UNICEF and um, Ireland, but also I got in contact with the lady who works in the UNICEF in New York branch. So these people will be coming and give talking to us all um, through Zoom, obviously. Um, I guess as well then with regards to fundraisers, and um, we're hoping uh, Syria this year is our main fund, uh, our main focus. So we are hoping any funds we do raise will go towards this campaign. So with that in mind, we are hoping to have a, a splash for Syria or a sunrise for Syria campaign that she's going to roll in a few weeks time. And, you know, it's just going to be hopefully that everyone can get involved, you know, do within their own 5K and just a small little maybe like, you know, go for a swim in the morning or something and donate and um, something that everyone can get involved in, but not have to be together. Then we also have a, I guess, a, a Discovery Week event, which is going to be a week long, a series of events. So we've got panel discussions built in for that week. Um, we are actually hoping to do some other um, events, but we're going to keep them in the, the, I guess, hidden for a while, a little longer, just so we know that everything is confirmed. But I guess, yeah, like Cyrus said earlier on, follow the Instagram page and um, see what we're doing. You know. We don't want to be a society or a club, I suppose, that uh, focuses on armchair activism. So when we get back on campus, we want everyone to be active, you know, a vibrant community that will make a difference. Um, but for the moment, it seems that we're going to, you know, continue to educate. That will be social media posts and um, discussion panels um, while we're all at home learning online. And I just want to quickly follow on, I know Molly mentioned Sunrise for Syria, just a warning because it's happening soon, Sunrise is actually at like quarter to seven, so it's not that early, so hopefully people do get involved because when I pitched the idea for Sunrise, everyone was like, nope, not 5am for me, please. That was yeah. me. I think it's a good idea for us to kind of get out, build a bit of a routine, like maybe go on a walk, like Molly said, jump off the 40 foot if you want to six in the morning I wouldn't recommend it because it seems really cold but you know what if you want to it's all for a good cause so I guess anything you want to do to get a bit active in the morning nice and early before we all have to go to our college classes and I think it builds us into a routine in lockdown and also donates to a great cause to help people who really need it so hopefully people get involved in the next few weeks but like Molly said check our Instagram for dates and everything like that yeah. so hopefully you all there at the events too. I guess as well in the future we are definitely we've kind of noticed as we've all become involved there is a real appetite within UCD to have I guess a humanitarian focused careers event so we have been contacting people and we don't know when we'll run it would it be better to run maybe in person would you know would that would people prefer that so definitely it's there will be a lot of exciting things in the pipeline and just you know if you want to get involved you know our Get, check out our Instagram, we have our link tree in the bio and um, you can just fill out a membership form there.
Last question I have is if you guys have to pick one reason why somebody should join UNICEF or UCD UNICEF, what would that be? We'll go to Syrah first. Oh yes, I've always been interested in fundraising. And I think like as a child in Ireland, I realized how lucky I am in terms of education. Something as basic as access to water. Like I literally have my water bottle right beside me. It's clean, not full of any disease, I think. But like we take so much and I'm not saying it intentionally but we take so much for granted living in a country like this where we have so much and I think one thing I would say to people one reason why I'd say to get involved with an organization like UNICEF is that it really helps you to pay it back to pay it forward you've been so grateful and so like we've we have an education like that's more than a lot of students not students a lot of children have and I think by putting our efforts towards an organization like UNICEF fundraising for an organization like UNICEF it really kind of makes everything go full circle it gives me a real sense of fulfillment to know that I'm putting my effort and resources that I'm so incredibly lucky to have to help other people who don't have those resources out of no choice of themselves so I guess that'd be my long-winded reason to join but it's also a lot of fun so I think that'd be a good reason to join too. Yeah and I guess I suppose like joining every other society or club you know you're going to meet like-minded people and I definitely noticed that like it's quite funny like me and Syra didn't really know each other at all before and um, you know we became on we started the committee and um, now you know we're like chatting or whatever and I feel like because we're all at home I know I was in first year when um obviously COVID came around and changed college experience so you know it, people think oh we can't get in contact you can't meet new people but you really can I mean join new societies you know become involved and why UNICEF I guess for all the reasons Sarah has mentioned um you know UNICEF has helped save more children's lives than any other humanitarian organization so when you think about that I mean of course you'd want to be involved in something that can make a difference that does make a difference so yeah that's why I'd I'd suggest getting involved oh also actually um it's it's a a real worldwide um like UNICEF is a worldwide organization so you know if there, I feel like there's quite a community spirit involved obviously we are just beginning with the UNICEF club but we will be getting in contact with Trinity and all the other Irish um, student UNICEF clubs but then as well like looking further afield there are clubs in America there's a clubs all over Europe all over the world really and we are getting in contact with European clubs and the American clubs so you know we are going to be getting in contact with like-minded people overseas which is really exciting you know something that you can be part of if you join UNICEF. Unfortunately, that is all we have time for. Molly, Sire, it was an absolute pleasure chatting to you both. And I wish you the best of luck with uh, your work for uh, UNICEF UCD. In today's episode, we had a look at the Syrian refugee crisis 10 years on, the role that UNICEF has played in providing humanitarian support for these refugees, and finding what you can do to get involved. If you're not already, make sure to follow our social media accounts, and you can find the link to those in the description. If, you, if you've enjoyed today's episode and want to keep up to date with our weekly podcasts, please give us a follow. In addition to our podcast, Frontier uploads articles daily on our website, and you can find that at www.frontier-current-affairs.com. Make sure to tune in next week. I'm Drummond McGinn, and this is Frontier Investigates.